Hey, it's Metal Dave here along with my co-host Jason McMaster. Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Uh, today we are going to have a conversation about, uh, it's a conversation that honestly could just never end. Uh, so we're going to do our part to uh, talk about it the best we can, but we'll probably revisit this topic numerous times. That topic is bands that we think should have been bigger. Um, that's a long list. It probably never ends, uh, but we're going to get into that in a few minutes talk about some bands that uh, Jason and I think were worthy of greater attention than they, than they got. Uh, but for right now, Jason, what's going on, man? How are you, and what's on your radar this week? I'm uh, doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, I have been uh, busy. Uh, it's a new season at my at my job. You know, I, I, I teach music to... Uh, to young people as well as adults, but right now I'm uh, directing a, uh, we have themed shows, so I have to do research uh, on, you know, on the themes that we, that we're, we do shows for every season and this season we're doing, and this I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit, it's called <laughs> Modern Metal. Now I've done Modern Metal before. Uh, it's, I, it's, I cringe when I just say the words modern and metal to together, yeah. because it just, I mean, what kind of music is that? Uh, cause it doesn't sound very metal for it to be modern. Um, <laughs> but of course I think that, um, you know, it's a corporate school and it has to, has to have selling point and value. And, it, you know, I can't just do big dumb knuckle dragger heavy metal shows for the school every season so you know they they mix it up enough and a lot of it ends up being just classic stuff um yeah. so this is a good way for them to to spin it right um but that's what i've been doing and uh, trying to figure out you know uh when i when i i'm but i learn every every time i do a modern metal show it's not my first uh yeah insane moment at the school uh uh high on fire oh wow that would that would that would i think be under that category wow because uh, okay. oh but, but let me back up one step and say is modern metal recent release metal or is modern metal progressive metal because notice i'm not saying new metal because right. metal was actually right a, a, a box that somebody at rolling stone put shoved a bunch of bands in and it became a, a thing there for a hot second so yeah um i don't know you could say disturbed you could say slipknot you could say you know there's all this stuff but i i think that uh bands that are worthy of a of a uh, mentioning when you're talking about, you know, dare I say modern metal again, uh, <laughs> is, uh, you know, like Gojira or Trivium yeah. or, or, you know, stuff like that. But right now we're doing um, some songs that a coworker actually helped me put together for my first six in this uh, this season's show. And there's a Red Fang song, High on Fire, uh, there's a ghost song 
Ghost is almost not even metal. Uh, sometimes the guitars sound very metal and ominous, and I think when they dig in, it's kind of metal. But you know, the voice is not metal. It's it's like it's like um, Steve Perry from Journey singing about Satan. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. this very sort of yeah. happy, happy sounding tone. Uh, but King Diamond wrote the lyrics or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've said before that Ghost gets a lot of stuff from, you know, they, they stole their, all their ideas from Blue Oyster Cult. And yeah. Blue Oyster Cult doesn't really write as dark a themes as they do, but they do write dark. Uh, yeah. Almost like a progressive, almost like if Pink Floyd wanted to be bikers or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Blue Cult. Um, but anyway, that's what's kind of on my radar and, and what I've been doing as far as, uh, work goes. And I don't hate it. It's, uh, I, I, I love that job. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I learn stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, it, it can be challenging because, um, I don't really like the idea of modern metal at all. Uh, <laughs> I love the high on fire song that we're doing. We're doing, um, a song called Electric Messiah. Yeah. And I swear the lyrics are about Lemmy. He's talking about uh, drinking and, you know, the playing cards. And, uh, you know, they say one line says, as the ace takes the stage or something like that. And yeah, it's like they're just singing about Lemmy. <laughs> and if they're not, you know, don't blow it for me kind of thing. Right. Well, they did tour together uh, yeah. quite often, yeah. and I know Matt Pike is a is a big uh, Lemmy fan, so uh, it wouldn't be out of the question that some of that influence crept into the lyrics. So, possibly, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, what what about you? Um, I uh, have been reading uh, Classic Rock Magazine. Um, oh, good one, yeah. Our buddy. Uh, our pal Johnny Venom passed along a recent issue to me. It's actually a few months old. Uh, but Classic Rock Magazine, for those who aren't familiar, is uh, based out of uh, England. And uh, the the title is kind of a misnomer. When I think Classic Rock, I think Boston and The Doors and Foreigner and stuff like that. Uh, but this, the magazine... Uh, definitely has sort of more of an angle toward hard rock, heavy metal, uh, a little bit of punk rock. Um, it's a really great magazine. I actually used to write for the magazine for a few years. Um, and it was an honor to do so because they really dig deep. They look for the stories that haven't been told a million times. They go out looking to, uh, you know, they, they interview roadies and guitar techs and, and uh, studio producers and engineers and people that have firsthand knowledge of a of a subject, but you never hear those voices tell the story. So um, it's a really cool magazine. They do a great job of digging beyond the obvious. Um, the issue that I have is uh, that I'm currently reading has Motorhead on the cover because it is the uh, the issue is commemorating the 40th anniversary of the Ace of Spades album. Um, but in that same issue, there's 
full-blown stories on the Stooges, Guns N' Roses, Slade, uh, Motorhead, of course. Um, there was a story in there on White Lion. Um, and you and I did an episode recently on the Big Four. Uh, the, the article on White Lion didn't spell it out, but as I'm reading the article... It's occurring to me that White Lion actually has a Big Four connection. Do you know what that is? Um, oh, you're you're hurting my brain. I know that uh, bass player played in Black Label Society for a moment. Yeah, what's that guy's name? Jimmy. James Lomenzo. James Lomenzo. That's right. That's right. He was in Black Label. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know the Big Four connection. The Big Four connection with White Lion, as odd as it may seem. uh, Greg D'Angelo, the drummer in White Lion, was the original drummer in Anthrax. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, and here's the, here's the second tie to the Big Four. Uh, it's not as solid as that one, uh, but James Lomenzo, who we were just talking about, actually spent a few years playing bass in Megadeth. So, oh right, Did yeah, board with them. Did yeah, you- the classic White Lion lineup has two guys in it that actually spent time in two of the big four bands. What record so- did did James Lomenzo play record on with Megadeth? I don't know that one. Okay. All right, yeah, that's a good, I don't know. That's a good uh, trivia there. Yeah, uh, kind of interesting that you don't you don't associate White Lion with the Big Four, but uh, there you have it. <laughs> I I love. By the way, uh, Classic Rock Magazine is an excellent source. Uh, it's a big, giant, colorful uh, English magazine. Yeah, and I think it was started by. Uh, some of the key writers from Kerrang. I think that so, you are correct. Yeah, so it's got a very rich history of, uh, of very knowledgeable writers. And uh, as you say, it's, uh, it's full color, glossy. And the other interesting thing about it is their photo archive is amazing. It's like you never see the same photo twice and you rarely see the standard issue photo that you've seen a million times uh, of any band. So it's really cool, a lot of candid behind the scenes photographs, uh, really interesting stories that dig beyond the obvious. Um, it's well, kind of- There a magazine that, that would, would have Leonard Skinner on the cover in one issue and Venom on the next. Or they'd be in the same issue. Right. That's the thing, yeah. Talk about the cover story. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. Right. I see what you're uh-huh. saying. But yeah, this current issue has, uh, like I said, Motorhead, White Lion, The Stooges. There's a tribute to Pete Way. Oh, cool. uh, but yeah, they run the gamut. It'll be everything from Black Sabbath on the cover to uh, Molly Hatchet on page three, you know, <laughs> and it's yeah. really cool stuff. It's it's things that you haven't heard before. So it's a little pricey to, to buy it here in America because uh, it comes from overseas. But uh, it's worth it uh, if you're looking for something that delves a little deeper than your typical rock and roll magazine. I wrote for him for a couple of years, and it was a great experience. And uh, I don't get the magazine as often as I'd like, but uh, 
thankfully Johnny Venom slipped me an issue, and I've been enjoying that uh, this week. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah, I love that magazine. That one, and uh, I like Decibel. Decibel is a little heavier side of things. Yeah, but they do a yeah. really, really good job, and they're like, uh, yeah, they're great. I, I would, I wouldn't know which one to pick up first if they were sitting next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Let's move into our main subject today. And today we are talking about, oh man, <laughs> bands that we think should have been bigger. And uh, I prefaced this uh, episode by saying this is a conversation that can go on and on and round and round and upside down and backwards and forwards. And it probably will. But uh uh, I know I've got some that I want to mention, and I'm sure you do as well. So uh, we'll kick it off with you. Why don't you throw out a band that you think was deserving of more credit than they got? I think that you can – I'm going to try to be as global as I can. Um, but first I want to say there's a there seems to be a, a plethora of uh, bands that are like – cult they've reached cult status they don't have the rolling stone covers they were never a head an arena headliner they were always the opening band or in a medium-sized venue or even a small venue because it's just you know they just that's just where they got kind of i hate the word stuck but that's kind of what what it is and what they have because where they began and where they ended up, yeah. uh, whether they um, like a perfect example is Rose Tattoo. Mm -hmm. um, they are a cult. They have a cult following. The, th their their probably greatest claim to fame is that um, in the late 80s, you know, uh, Guns N' Roses covered their songs and um, made them relevant and, again. And then... I mean, when when I when I was in Los Angeles recording uh, in the late '80s and early '90s, both every band that played a club every night of the week covered a Rose Tattoo song. Wow. Uh, the I heard the song "Rock and Roll Outlaw" probably three times a week. Yeah, <laughs> while, while I was hanging out in bars in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Junkyard covered them as well. Junkyard is on my list of bands that could have, should have been bigger. But um, so there's this cult status that bands receive after they've been plugging at it for years and years and years. And I mean, I think Rose Tattoo disbanded and Guns N' Roses recorded their songs and... Um, Nice boys don't play rock and roll, to be clear. Yeah. And uh, I think that they, you know, the, uh, guns blew up and they're going to Australia for the first time. And the promoters are like, well, do you have a support band you want to bring? And I think that the guys were probably Slash and Axel were like, yeah, can we reform Rose Tattoo and get them to open for us? We want to play with Rose Tattoo. So. <laughs> I think it was turned into the promoter's job. This is just legend story. It's lore now. I don't know the truth behind it. Yeah. Um, 
like was calling like monasteries and jails trying to get, trying to get Rose Tattoo back together just so they would, I did hear that one of the members was a monk or something was in a monastery uh, could have been rehab and they just called it a monastery you yeah know? that's code uh, to for rehab the, yeah to get the band uh, back together and they pulled it off and so Guns N' Roses is at some soccer stadium with Rose Tattoo uh, a, you know, a, a three-legged rose tattoo opening the show, you know, <laughs> and I just think that that's super badass, and I think that that's what it probably takes to 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 at least say, okay, we're we're definitely a cult type of a band uh, when we have to come out of retirement and uh, find some shoes to wear to get. <laughs> You know, <laughs> to, go, yeah. to go open for the biggest, hottest band in the world right now. Right. Um, you know, but I, you can you can go all over the place with this. Um, like uh, on the other end of the stick, you I want to mention Cheap Trick. Uh, that rhymes, by the way. Um, <laughs> he, you know, that that group, uh, an American, you know, Illinois. Rockford, Illinois, rock and roll band from the 70s probably had a stint of headlining arenas, but why aren't they like as big as Journey? Why aren't they as big? You see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a little bit of cult involved. I'm not saying they didn't, didn't, aren't worthy of a greatest hits album. You know, yeah. Uh, they have hits. Oh, yeah, a band like Rose Tattoo is more of an underground thing and the biggest band in the world who's probably you could arguably say bigger than Cheap Trick. Guns N' Roses has like, I don't know, the equivalent of three or four records out and they're, <laughs> they're like this monolith. Juggernaut, and, yeah. Yeah, and Cheap Trick is this whatever they are. And so you makes you wonder, it's like, what the hell, you know? Um, anyway, that sort of like uh, spectrum there is worthy of, a, of a, a theme for our show, Talk Louder. I think that there is, is a lot to talk about. Yeah. What, what's your take and what, what's a band that's sort of in the middle of that sort of ruler there that you... Well, I, I've got a... I've got a handful of bands that sort of uh, fit the uh, the theme of the show today. Uh, the first one that jumps out to me is Hanoi Rocks. Um, it's a great example. Yeah, there's a band that, you know, by all accounts was close to knocking down the door. Um, their career uh, was a steady build, and they had... I believe four albums done and out, but their fifth one was going to be the one that broke them in America. And that album was two steps from the move. And, uh, it was on a major label. It was produced by Bob Ezrin. Um, Hanoi had sort of this look, they had the songs. There was a, a video on MTV for their cover of, uh, CCRs up around the bend, and by all accounts, they look poised to uh, to graduate to the next level. And then, uh, of course, uh, 
their drummer Razzle was the passenger in Vince Neal's car when Vince had that infamous uh, drunken driving car crash and killed Razzle, the drummer from Hanoi Rocks. And a lot of people, you know, say that was it, it, it was, in fact, the end of Hanoi Rocks. I don't know um, why the band decided not to go on with a new drummer. Uh, I don't know if there was other things beneath the surface that were starting to cause problems or issues, and uh, Razzle's uh, passing was sort of the catalyst to send the guys in separate directions or whatever. Uh, but by all accounts, a lot of people think that was a band that was poised to go to the next level. And <clears throat> you talk about, you know, you were talking about how Guns N' Roses uh, sort of revived the career of Rose Tattoo. Uh, they did the same for Hanoi Rocks. Um, they, uh, when Guns blew up, they had their own imprint label, sort of a boutique record label called Uzi Suicide. And they yes. ended up reissuing all the Hanoi Rocks records uh, because, except for the Two Steps from the Move, which was on a, a major label, a lot of the earlier stuff was unavailable in America, uh, or at least very hard to find. And Guns N' Roses loved that band, wanted to show the world kind of where they got their thing from. From much Finland, like, right? Are they fin they're Finnish? Yeah, they're from Finland. Finland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, and they're, they're often credited or blamed, whichever word you want to use for, uh, influencing the whole 1980s sunset strip hair metal thing. And I've interviewed Michael Monroe, the singer before, and he, he, it's, it's not something that he's necessarily proud of because he doesn't. He and Hanoi were always more in line with like uh, Johnny Thunders or the Stones or the New York Dolls, whereas a lot of the stuff that came out of Hollywood in the 80s, the real glammy cock rock kind of stuff, was more about Aerosmith and uh, maybe some cheap trick like you mentioned. Um, so Hanoi had the aesthetic you know, I think if anything, Hanoi influenced the look of the Sunset Strip, but musically, I don't think they shared a lot in common. Uh, and that's what Michael Monroe's point was. Um, so I think that he has a good point. I yeah, think I think that, it's valid. Um, but I do think that it there was a little bit of not to call him out on it, but I think Sammy Yaffa had some bands in Hollywood. I think he had a band called Shooting Gallery. That was Andy McCoy. Had... Oh, Andy McCoy. Okay, yeah. Sammy that... was playing with uh, Jet Sammy Boy. Was with Jet Boy, yeah. Right. And, but that was and all that's... after the demise of Hanoi Rocks. No, so... that's what that's uh, that's what I'm saying. In line in the timeline with the events that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, they were members of Hanoi were in Hollywood trying to to jump in and keep going somewhat. Um, there was no sign of Michael around. Right. Well, I think uh, I, I think I think Hanoi, you know, because they are so they're they're cited as an influence on the Hollywood hair metal scene, and people think they should have gotten a piece of that. And I do credit them with influencing the look of the Hollywood hair metal scene. Okay. 
but they don't sound to me at all like Motley Crue or Warrant or Rat or whatever. No, to no. me, they sound more like you know the Dolls and the Stones and Johnny Thunders yeah, and trashy, trashier. Yeah, 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 that's real trashy. Fine, uh, but that's yeah. not to say that you know in the in the heyday of the hair metal bands, I do believe they could have found an audience with those fans, even though they didn't sound like a lot of those bands. So I do believe that they uh, could have been bigger than they were, but it's not, it's not as automatic as I think a lot of people might think. A lot of people look at them and go, Oh, well, yeah, they'd fit right in with poison and Motley Crue and, uh, and warrant. And it's like, uh, no, they have the same hair, but that's about where it stops. I, I hear, I hear a little bit of, of Hanoi rocks going on and pussycat and LA guns though. I hear a little bit of that trash happening in that's valid. Yeah. That's a few of those bands. And, and, uh, I've, I've, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but it, it doesn't matter that, that there was a bit of that sort of trashy rock where the guitar is hanging so low to your knees, you can barely reach it. Yeah. Uh, kind of trashy, like, and, and they don't care because that's kind of part of the, the vibe of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there were, a, there were a, more than a handful of those bands that never saw the light that know that we would know about them because we're 2000 miles away from Hollywood and they played Tuesday nights, right? You know, something like right. that. Um, that never had a chance, which, which, which makes this whole uh, theme work. Yeah. It could have been the greatest dirty rock and roll band in the world that no one's ever heard of. And you know what? Guns N' Roses was right there playing, opening for this, this band that I just described. Yeah. For the ones that got the deal for whatever reason. And it could have been the same um, type, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, but, you're right. You're right. I do hear, especially Faster Pussycat. Uh, yeah, I do hear the Hanoi in Pussycat and maybe some L.A. Guns and, you know. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But my point is, I, I do think that Hanoi Rocks is one of those bands that had an audience just waiting for them, and then they they just disappeared. Right. So, let yeah, that's... An, let me throw another, uh, another sort of uh, color into this uh, soup that we're making here. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about a, uh, some bands that sort of fit uh, within like the underground metal thing and some of the bands we've talked about on the on the show before but like Bachman Turner Overdrive they had hit songs I think that they were kind of like a cheap trick and not even as big as cheap trick I think on the totem pole they're underneath cheap trick oh yeah Canadian band uh, and you know, the guitar player used to be in the Guess Who. So yeah. this guy, Randy Bachman, had hits with the Guess Who, and he had hits with Bachman Turner Overdrive. The guy rules, but there's some sort of, like, um, element that I feel like, as far as, like, a rock and roll fan, they were never... Uh, they didn't one-up anything. There's not... I didn't feel like there's a another chunk of what just your like your average regular guy uh, defines as 
uh, rock star or, uh, you know, the, worthy of a Rolling Stone cover, or I'm just saying that as a measurement, uh, yeah, a, yeah. A measurement of what it is we're talking about. I feel like band, a band like BTO, much like Cheap Trick could have been bigger. They had hit songs as, yeah. many, as many as Cheap Trick, probably. And, um, it, it, anyway, they, I feel like it, it got to a ceiling for some reason and it couldn't break through. Yeah. People yeah. were looking down at him going, where, where you at? Come on, you can do yeah. it. We think <laughs> you're badass. What's the deal? You know? Yeah. But they did, they did make their mark. I mean, you're, you're right. Um, but you listen to classic radio and you'll hear, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet and forever and ever and ever. Yeah. You know? But it's another show to say one hit wonder. Yeah. People, you know, will, you know, let it roll was a hit, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, uh, Turner, the other guy saying, let it roll, uh, you know, Randy Bogman saying, taking care of business. And that's on like car commercials and shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge song. There's they, they're, you know, they're, they're completely worthy. Um, there's, you know, there's other moments. I mean, you know, BTO, uh, our last episode, we talked about, uh, I mentioned the truck stop find the cassette or the cd yeah, the or truck stop mixtape yeah 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 and bto is on that truck oh, yeah. absolutely you know, bto's on that's they wrote they wrote that book yeah they, that's the good time boogie rock and roll that you know what it's kind of fucking heavy you yeah. know bto's kind of has some heavy metal moments to them yeah, they're um, on all five volumes of that truck stop compilation. <laughs> I hope so because they and they should be. They've they've just des- they deserve the right. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so you know, there. Uh, you know, uh, can you think of? Do you have a list that you have? I do. Yeah. So here, here's another one. Uh, I, I'm gonna wave my punk rock flag today. Uh, um, and I gotta mention Degeneration. Um, oh, they yeah. were a sort of a glam punk band out of New York. Uh, they put out, they were in existence f- for throughout the nineties. I think their first album came out in 91. They were amazing and live. They were amazing live yeah. and they were amazing on record. And um, it was their first album came out on, uh, on Chrysalis and uh for some reason, they there was a falling out, and they moved on to uh, a, another major label. I want to I want to say Capital, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but anyway, the second album was produced by Rick Ocasek from the Cars. Yeah, and Rick did, uh, uh, Rick did Weezer. So yeah, yeah. There's some kind of play, and just you know whatever's happening in uh, the rock and roll world during that era 90s you know yeah and he so so degeneration has all the elements for success they they've got great songs they look cool they've got tons of street cred the ramones loved them joey ramone was a huge fan uh they've got a top-notch producer they're on a major label and let's ask the question i'm gonna ask you what the hell happened why not how come they hit the ceiling and fell out well, here's my thinking is timing. I yeah. bet you if degeneration happened in 88 or 89, they would have caught the tail end of that hair metal thing. And not that they necessarily would have, uh, they, they, they were a little more snotty to me than, than, 
than a lot of the hair metal bands, but they would have they would have definitely appealed to the fans of Guns N' Roses. Uh, I always compared them, at least vocalist Jesse Mallon. I always told people that like Faster Pussycat, you got to hear this band, Degeneration, because to me they were the next step from Faster Pussycat. So I think it was all timing because, as you know, the 90s was the generation or the decade of alternative music. So uh, it was the it was the decade of non-image, you know, and these guys had, you know, eyeliner and the creepers and the ratty, the ratted up hair. Um, and and I also think that maybe being from New York might have worked against them. Maybe maybe people thought because they're from New York, they're just too hip. You know, and and that might have worked against them. Too many new tattoos. I don't know, but that that was a they they were a great band. They they put out a third record called Through the Darkness, and that one was produced by Tony Visconti, who worked with David Bowie and Thin Lizzy. So again, great songs, great looking band, great live performers, top notch producer. They're on a major label, and. On that record, I think they actually did it to themselves because I think they broke up like two or three months after the record came out and they never really promoted it. But then again, they might have decided to throw in the towel because they knew they missed their timing. You know, uh, right. nothing happened on the first two albums. By now, you know, grunge is all the rage. Right. Um, but I did see them. Uh, I saw them a few times and I remember going to see them op open for The Offspring and I mean, they just mopped the floor with oh, there's the no, offspring. There's no doubt. Once you listen to you know two degeneration songs, and then you're like, "Offspring, who?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't even matter anymore because they're uh, there's you know, Offspring has that snotty thing you're talking about. You know, yeah. they have that. Uh, they're a little more uh, dare I say, I hate the term pop punk, but. They had that thing going on, and Degeneration has more of like um, the punk rock thing that's that's snotty. That I'm not saying they don't have melody because they did, but they were there was a little more. Uh, you're gonna someone's gonna get cut. Yeah, it was very street, very yeah. gritty and street. Yeah. And uh, I loved them. I thought that was a band that again had all the ingredients. If you factor in the major label, uh, the top notch producers a great band with great songs and amazing stage presence, a great yes. front man. Yes. Uh, they had it all and it just never really went anywhere. And I think, well, that, you know, it might've been timing in their you're, case. You're saying all of these, uh, these phrases that the, I'll, I'll pick one, the uh, timing, the, the you know, they should have come out two years, three years earlier at the at yeah. best. Um, you know, pundits have said that about so many bands that came out in the class of 89, as I call it. I mean, Bang Tango, with that first record, Psycho Cafe, I feel like, which was recorded in Texas, right down the street from where I'm at right now. That's right. At the fire station, which our producer has worked at. I, uh, Demon Bell from The Toys was recorded there. Um, yeah. Anyway, dude. I don't understand why uh, that record didn't do better. Uh, I recall Duff McKagan saying something about that first Bang Tango record. He loved that record, said, man, that's a great record. And, and then members of Bang Tango saying, man, I'm getting tired of everybody saying how badass a record is, and i got to eat Taco Bell. 
<laughs> right. You know what I mean? Or so, I got to work at Taco Bell. <laughs> right. 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 Not far from it. Uh, <laughs> let's 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 move into another another light because there's really so much uh, to talk about. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it just ha- some. Your point is completely golden in this conversation um, that it sometimes it just happens too late. Someone recognizes it too late. And then yeah. once you you get uh, the break where you get to make a proper record with uh, someone else's money, as I like to call it, yeah. uh, and you get the machine working for you, it's just too late. Um, but to move to to move around, I I, I want to talk about some some Canadian some more Canadian bands. Uh, why isn't even in the '90s because he happened he broke later. Danko Jones. Why is that not bigger globally japan america why 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 there is a record that uh, gets a lot of love and respect from my camp called we sweat blood which yeah. is like this peak to me yeah in uh in the whole idea of what is a danko jones a three-piece yeah. Canadian rock band. How many times have you heard three-piece Canadian rock band? <laughs> but yeah. anyway, it, it is bluesy with the influences of Kiss and Thin Lizzy and, and UFO and Black Flag mixed yeah. all in this one thing. And it's like, how can you not love that? Yeah. How can you not love that if you like rock music and you and you and you you have a couple of records from your parents record collection which would probably be kiss and thin lizzy right yeah or in our case our record collection exactly <laughs> but the point the point is exactly the same all the hooks uh huge in europe but that doesn't translate anywhere else uh can can pack the viper room can't really get any uh, you know he opens for the new hot band you know mm. like he did a tour uh, supporting volbeat and yeah. the volbeat fans didn't really i i saw a show with danko uh, supporting the uh, volbeat and it didn't translate there yeah. i was looking i was in the audience freaking out cuz i'm a huge danko fan but I'm like, why aren't you? And it was in a rock and roll town. It was in it was in San Antonio, and the place was packed. It could have been sold out, but people are just sleeping during Danko. And I'm like, what is wrong with San Antonio? Why aren't they getting this one-two yeah. punch? It was like they were they were getting beat up, and they didn't even real. They didn't. It didn't take. Um, yeah, I don't know how you sleep through Danko. And and you made a good point. Uh, I know that he's done over in Europe. He he tours with uh, Guns and Roses and Motorhead and Michael Monroe, and exactly. and the funny thing is he's just on and the other side on, of our he, border. He gets in. He gets invited on stage by the headliner every tour he does because he's such a special guy. Yeah, he's so nice and 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 uh, and well spoken and charismatic, well received, and he's such a wonderful person. Yeah. Uh, on stage, he's a maniac, but he's like, if he's walking down the street, he's a, <laughs> give you, a, you need a shirt, I'll give you mine, kind of a guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He gets invited on stage to sing with Saxon, with Motorhead, with yeah. all, he's, uh, uh, Volbeat 
put out a single that they recorded with him on lead vocals. It was like number one in like Europe in a couple of different countries. It was number one. Yeah. And he's not even in their band. He was just a guy. Hey, we love your band. Come sing with us. And it, it, the label loved the song that he did and released it as a single. Anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a valid point that he's one. So yeah. here's, here's another one. No, your list. I'm sorry, Dave. Give me one. No, um, uh, uh, I second Danko Jones, by the way. You turned me on to him years ago. I've seen him live. I've collected his albums. And, uh, dude, that's a solid rock and roll band right there. And, yes. and, he's, a, and he's a solid front man with just, just oozes charisma. I mean, Amazing. that guy... Yeah, That's, and and the reason he gets called on stage to sing with all those headliners is because he's a fan. They know he That's knows right. all the lyrics to That's their song. But anyway, yeah, I'll I'll second Danko for sure. Uh, here's one uh, that doesn't, um, you know, the the I was mentioning timing as being uh, an issue with. Uh, maybe Hanoi Rocks and D-Generation, but here's a band that's been around forever, so I don't know the timing is an issue, but Y&T, I think that band... That's a perfect example. They've been around forever, and they're super talented, great songwriters, obviously persistent as hell, um, and, and, their, and their music is kind of... It has wide-ranging appeal like it's not so metal that the girls aren't gonna like it and but it's not so shreddy or you know it's not so wimpy that the guys aren't gonna like it it's just great down the middle of the road hard rock um yeah there there's not really a lot of, in my opinion it's not really metal it's like a boogie woogie hard rock it's yeah like, it's a it's a hard rock band yeah but it's, but it's not so like i said it's not it it doesn't alienate anybody, no. but it's not generic either, you know, right. which is why I can't understand why those guys and they've been around forever and um, they've they've never gotten to arena headliner status. Right. In even, America. With some, even with summertime girls. Yeah. TV era, they wrote they wrote and released Summertime Girls, which is could have been a damn Yankees song. Yeah. Could have been I a, remember, you know, growing up in San Antonio, of course, uh, we we had the great Joe Anthony as a DJ on the FM station in San Antonio, and he was playing Y and T songs back when they were still called Yesterday and Today. Right. So I was aware of Y and T, and then they put out that album Mean Streak, and I thought that was gonna be the one that was going to catapult them to a larger audience. And it didn't really. And then the album you're talking about in rock, we trust that it seems like they made a conscious move to sort of get on the bandwagon. Uh, they changed their wardrobe. The songs were a little poppier. The keyboards were more prominent summertime girls, you know, that last um, record, I feel like they, they were firing personnel like their drummer Leonard Hayes, who's an, he was a freaking animal. He was like John Bonham, yeah. you know, uh, playing, playing like, a, he was a monster. Yeah. Uh, 
but he didn't, he wasn't much to look at. Let's just yeah. say that. And he yeah. didn't want to wear the spandex or what, you know, he wouldn't put on the uniform. He just, I wouldn't want to see him in spandex. No, no, me neither. Like he, <laughs> he'd show up wearing $5 gym shorts and because that's what he wore when he played drums. Yeah. Yeah. So who cares about that kind of stuff? But that has an element like, you know, not to go back to Denko. It's like, they look. They wear. They wear all black. They wear button-up shirts, collars. Yeah. And they, they look real tight as a uniform when they play. So it's yeah. not really this flash thing. It's about being pummeled by kick-ass rock and roll from these yeah. skinny guys wearing wearing all black. It's not about hair and flash. It's about the music. But I think uh, in in the case of Y and T, they were they were trying to make concessions to that era and on that album that you're talking about uh, in Rock We Trust with the song Summertime Girls. All of a sudden, their wardrobe, just like every band, it was like you know everybody was doing the Bon Jovi wardrobe, you know, the big yeah. fluffy hair, the sequin long jackets, and and. Uh, you know, and to their to their credit, I mean, at that point, Y&T had been slugging it out for 20 years. So, yeah. damn right, I'm willing to try try doing whatever it takes to make it to the next level. I'm, I've been in a van for two decades, you know. But to 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 get into you know what we were saying, probably where you're going to end up with this, it the hit the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, they did. I, it was interesting. Uh, I remember reading that uh, Motley Crue their first big local gig when they graduated to like a, a theater somewhere in LA, they were opening for Y and T and they thought that was, Oh dude, we've, we've made it. And then the first time I saw Y and T was actually also the first time I saw Motley Crue was the theater of pain tour and Y and T was the opening band. So the tables turned, yep. but they never turned back again. And yep. Y and T has always been this perennial either theater headliner or club headliner or they're an opener in the arenas. And I just can't explain it because they've got a great track record of, of songs. Dave Manichetti is a great guitar player. Everyone a loves great his singer. And he was looked, I mean, uh, Eddie Van Halen knew who Dave Manichetti was. Yeah. All yeah, he was a big guys. deal. And yeah, he's, he's still yeah. out there doing it today and he's still That's putting right. out quality work and still... Uh, I've had friends that have seen him in recent years and they're still saying, oh my God, dude, it was the best rock show I've seen he's in the years. Last, he's the last standing original member of y and I think everyone else has passed on. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I cast a vote for y and as a band that should have uh, gained bigger recognition and been rewarded better for, it, for all their time in the trenches. They're part of the myth. Uh, that definitely fits what we're talking about. Um, another uh, another sort of like slew of, of, I'll put a couple of them together this time. Yeah. Why, why didn't April wine? I have them on my list. <laughs> why didn't April wine? They Once again, they were on You're that in Canada, front. aren't you? <laughs> yeah. They, why, why not April wine with the hits that they had that are on the, again, on the truck stop rocks, comp cd yeah um with uh, just between you and me they're on power ballads they invented the power ballad with just yep. between you and me yep. um sign of the gypsy queen everyone loves that song i like to rock yep uh yep. i think that record is called nature of the beast they have uh, a record called nature of the beast yeah, yeah. And, and anyway not to get chronological too much uh i think that they 
fit the bill with what we're talking about here. Yep. Had they weren't they weren't too bad to look at just as far as, you know, uh that concept of, you know, well, do they look like crap? You know, no, they yep. looked fine. They uh they had clothes, they weren't too puffy, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, they could definitely play guitar and write songs. Yes, they could. I have uh, them on oh, my dude, list, too. She's a Roller is one of the greatest boogie-woogie rock and roll songs of all effing time. Yes. The Roller is so good. It's that guitar riff is, yes, it's so good. And you yeah. know what? It's like that That could have been on the first Boston album. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? You think yeah, it's got that boogie. North American rock and roll. That That is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, let let me let me throw another one out there. Um uh, uh an American band I'll, I'll get out of Canada for a second. An American band that we've we that we actually love here at Talk Louder and that is Riot. Okay. Mm. This is I just read a new article, fairly new article uh just the other day. Um it's almost like the algorithms and the bots know know my name because they're <laughs> they, they hear that they're listen they're listening to us on talk louder or something yeah. um because this it just like popped up oh here's an article about riot that you're going to I think I saw read. the same article but go oh, ahead my god it was so good because yes. they timelined everything out and sorry they they had bad management they they had uh, both of their singers are dead uh you know it's like they they gain you know they two steps forward three steps back kind of yep. thing the entire time with these guys um and they they were they were gaining momentum in the UK they were gaining momentum in Japan everyone seemed to like they would put out a record and they'd support it as best they could with the the shoes and the money they had in their pockets and the management that they had that day. And, um, I feel like there might've been some, uh, some strange, uh, rivalries, uh, in, in the band at some point by the, by the color of the article that I read. But yeah. for the most part, it ends up with, uh, some of the old members saying we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun really trying to take over the world with rock and roll, which is, not to get sentimental here, that's really what everyone's trying to do. But you got to eat. Yeah. So these guys yeah. are trying to gain momentum, and it just never really happened. I think their peak is is fire down under, which uh, um, which was the untimely uh, resulted with the leaving of uh, of oh, Guy Speranza, their yeah. their original vocalist. Yeah. And uh, tell us about Rhett Forrester, because I know that soon after with the Restless Breed, that was your favorite moment. Yeah, I, I mean, if I had to choose between the two, I would definitely take Fire Down Under. But I've always considered uh, Restless Breed to be a solid record. And uh, coming on the heels of uh, the classic that is Fire Down Under, that's no small feat. And filling the shoes of Guy Speranza was no small feat. Right. And I think Rhett Forrester did a good job. Uh, I like those two albums as back-to-back uh, -to -back albums. Um, I don't think that Restless Breed was the huge letdown. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, Restless Breed. It was not the huge letdown that it could have been after Fire Down Under. Right. And I think that's a huge credit to to the band and to Rhett. Uh, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, all those uh, metal bands that we love, Metallica talks about Riot. Uh, they were 
they, you know, they were based out of New York, but they they were lumped right in with all that new wave of British heavy metal stuff. And I don't see why they couldn't have been like a Def Leppard or a Saxon, you know, they, they, they weren't quite an Iron Maiden type band, but they could have been, they could have been in the same ballpark as like a Def Leppard or a Saxon for sure. You know, So the thing that I said at the top of this episode about the, they're one, they're another band like Rose Tattoo that they're a cult. Yeah. Following. Um, Yeah. They were always the opening band. I saw them a couple of times on big bills. They were usually the first band. I actually saw Riot and Saxon here in Austin together, and it was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Yeah. And Riot, who's from New York, fit right in with the New Ever British Heavy Metal Masters. And it was like, it was a heavenly night, if you will. Yeah. you know, because it was really it was the original band, uh, close to the original band of Saxon that you could get, yeah. And it was, uh, well, it was Nigel. Nigel was with them, okay. Uh, and then uh, with Saxon, and yeah. then it was uh, it was Rhett Forrester. It was Restless Breed. Oh wow! Yeah, it was Restless Breed. It was that year. So wow, I'm gonna throw another one out here because there's yeah. so many. What up with Nazareth? I've got them on my list too. We're reading okay. each other's minds. That's right. So yeah, dude, uh, Nazareth. Oh my God, what a great that singer. What is this? Dan McCafferty? Correct. Oh my God, that guy. One of the greatest voices in rock and roll. And and they also they were another one of those bands that could do it all. They could do the ballads. They could do the the ass-kicking rock and rollers. They could do the Saturday night party hardy stuff. They could do the morning after hangover stuff. I mean, they were so, uh, uh, their palette was so broad and they did it all really well. And I think a lot of it, at least for me, is the vocals. I mean, uh, that that's what ties it all together. But uh, again, they had, um, uh, they had that hit with Love Hurts. Yeah, I look at Nazareth as kind of like a uh like foreigner woke up on the bad side of the <laughs> woke up on the wrong <laughs> side of the bed. You know what I mean? Like they had woke the up band. in the yard. <laughs> yeah, they were yeah, they were like the nasty version of like a foreigner, which is a hit machine. Yeah, yeah. Like Nazareth had the they had the hits. You were I'm sorry to interrupt. You you mentioned Love Hurts. No. Yes. But that, I mean, that was a that was a big hit for them, and it, it and it showed that they could do, you know, sort of the softer radio friendly stuff just as well as they could do uh, "Hair of the Dog," you know. And uh, which is, I was going to mention "Hair of the Dog." That's their peak record that most people know them, but they are fitting into the cult, yeah, uh, as being a cult followed band. Yeah, that another band that uh, at least in America never got past. I mean, they did arenas, but they were always the first band, maybe the second band on the bill, but never a headliner. Um, and they Same also with- had a very long, prolific career. Um, and you know, it's like they put in the work, and it just never happened. I don't know why. Right. Crocus. Crocus was. I thought about Crocus, but I had to. I had to stop myself and say, I think they got their due. I think they might have there was a possibility they could have been bigger, but I don't think of them in the same breath as some of these other bands that we're mentioning because they did have their moment. It might have been short, but there was a time that 
they were in the arenas. They were on MTV. They were on the radio. And and they were from Switzerland. So to be able to come to America and achieve that level of success over over the course of, by the way, about three or four records. So they had some staying power when they did finally get over here. Um, so I didn't include them on my list because I feel like they did make their mark, even though they certainly had the potential, I think, to maybe go bigger and longer. But I think they had their moment. Well, I think that Crocus one tour would open for Def Leppard. And then the next tour, Cheap Trick would open for Def Leppard. You see what I'm saying? So there's a ceiling on it still. Yeah. Like it's the same thing. Uh, Crocus, I feel like, didn't have as many hits as uh, as Cheap Trick. or And I, I think Crocus is closer to Nazareth, where yeah. you know them for this one thing, like... Um, Crocus, it's harder. I mean, I don't want to say Midnight Maniac because that I don't think that that's a very just as a fan. That's not my go-to. It's more Screaming in the Night. Yeah, Screaming but it was night. a hit. It was yes, a hit. It, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, you know, just on a sidebar, Dan McCafferty and Mark from Nazareth, uh, and and uh, Mark Sirachi from Crocus. Both of those guys could have replaced Bon Scott and ACDC. Just throwing yeah. that out there. Yeah, I could see yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I could hear oh. that. Yeah, yeah. I could and hear that's that. Re- that's real because those guys are amazing singers and they could have got the job done. No yeah. disrespect to Brian. Love you, Brian Johnson. You are the singer for ACDC for always and forever. Right, uh, right. So I'm going to throw one at you. Yeah, I'm getting excited. Sorry. You're you're talking about cult bands and uh, me being from San Antonio. You can't talk about cult bands that you don't understand why they couldn't have been bigger than without mentioning Legs Diamond. Uh, They were obviously from L.A., but uh, in San Antonio, they were gods, man. They they would come to town about twice a year and sell out the Sunken Gardens Amphitheater, which I think is about a 3,500-seat or something like that. And uh, they would pack it every time. And, and you know, you look at their albums and their songs, and again, they're one of those bands like sort of like Y&T where they can do the hard rockers, they can do the ballads, they can do the, the radio-friendly sort of pop-flavored stuff. Uh, so they weren't lumped into a category that wasn't marketable they could they could kind of do it all and uh you know you think of a song like out on bail or rat race you know that's more of the harder edge stuff but then you turn around and you got fugitive and of course woman was a huge radio hit in san antonio and those are like you know heartfelt poppy radio friendly uh ballads or pop tunes yeah. So they had all this wide-ranging appeal, and they were great players. They looked cool. They looked cool. They had a great name. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Do you know who they were named after? Uh, gangster. Yeah, it's some some guy named I believe his real name was Jack Diamond, and they called him Legs, and he was like a mobster from the forties yeah. or something like that. But oh, yeah, yeah, that, but that was another rock. band. They did. They were huge in San Antonio. I like um, your album cover art their album cover art was great yeah 
and 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 they just didn't translate. I don't know if right. they had a, you know, I don't know if they could get arrested anywhere else in the United States. They were an LA band that did big business in San Antonio, and in my opinion, had a strong catalog of very good, well executed hard rock songs that wouldn't be out of line all over the radio. And well, it just if you were happened. if you were a hard rock and roll fan. And you happened to be, I don't know, on vacation. You wanted to go to San Antonio, the Riverwalk. Hey, there's this band, Legs Diamond, playing. Um, you ever heard? Yeah, I think I have one of their albums back home, but I don't remember anything about them. And you, and then you're standing in the middle of the crowd, sold out at Sunken Gardens, and they're playing Woman, and the entire audience, Rick is holding the microphone out. Yeah. And- audience is singing the song so rick doesn't the singer doesn't have to sing and you're on vacation from another world standing there going where have i been yeah why do i live under a rock how come i don't know the words to this song because there's about four thousand people singing this song yeah and the band's not even playing they're just up there taking shots right, the, song, right. The, song, <laughs> the audience took over so yeah it's really weird uh and you're you're right. I agree 100. Uh, percent I I heard about Legs Diamond in the late 70s down in Corpus Christi, um, probably because of uh, 99.5 Kiss and Joe Anthony and Lou Roney uh, breaking the band, yeah. you know, by on the radio. And uh, my uh, my older brothers had the record. My 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 uh, my friends from school who had older brothers they had the first legs diamond record, uh, the song stage fright. I, I mean, there, I saw cover bands play that song down yeah. at Corpus Christi bef- before I was even 15 years old. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw one out. Okay. Go for it. What about, um, I'll, 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 I'll go to Lars. Uh, Lars is, is in the Anvil movie saying, why this band didn't translate, no one could ever explain. Yeah. The band is Anvil, a three-piece, three-piece hard rock heavy metal band. Here from we Canada. Go. From Canada. <laughs> and, uh, and, well, you know what? Back in their heyday, they were a four-piece band. They were a four-piece band. Uh, like on their, on the, and don't, no one kill me, but on their good records, they're a four-piece. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, my favorite records by them, just for a, a glint into my head, are uh, Metal on Metal and Forged in Fire. And I really feel like those are their peak records. I want to say both of them were produced by Chris Sangridis, who is also no longer with us. Uh, Chris Sangridis is known for producing, uh, I don't know, Thin Lizzy, Judas Priest. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, he produced Painkiller, I think. So there you go. Yeah. Um Thunder and Lightning, I think, yep. by Lizzie produced. Yep. So Anvil's this man, and Lars kind of said it best in the sort of like forward or the the interview in the credits or something where he's saying, you know, this band, I could say, easily influenced Metallica in our early days and why they couldn't translate past this certain ceiling, like I keep saying. Um, no one will ever know it's this myth as to why they couldn't i feel like they weren't a whole lot to look at i feel like the vocals may have been as good as they could get and didn't get better 
you know, yeah. uh, as uh, as it's that's what's kind of supposed to happen. I feel like when you have a new grow. record out, it's almost like they they didn't grow, right? The yeah. vocalist uh, lips uh, didn't grow. Yeah, uh, um, lips is a nickname. So. Yeah, uh, he, you know, he's a, this lovable character and lovable yeah, front sure. man, and he's a very beyond decent shredder guitar player. Uh, who likes all of the cool old classic rock. Yeah. Uh, he's influenced by Ted Nugent's guitar playing, which I thought was a very interesting, which is just Chuck Berry. But so he's he's like, Ted Nugent is like Chuck Berry on speed. Yeah. And, and Lips is like Ted Nugent's guitar playing on speed. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> grandfathered in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the 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 cheese element in the lyrics in anvil is a little much yeah take that's... and i don't know if that was what was hurting them i just think that they were trying to have fun yeah with it and uh put a little spin on the cock rock thing uh you know have, they weren't like the mentors or by god you know they were <laughs> going that dark uh, uh, as to where it was about uh you know, S and M stuff. It was, yeah. it was more, uh, cheeky. Um, yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Uh, sort of the cheese factor might've been their downfall. And as you're, as you're describing them and talking about them, I'm thinking about Venom, you know, uh, there's another band that influenced Lars and, uh, all the big thrash bands that came afterwards and yeah. the, all those bands are very aware of Anvil and had their records and everything. Uh, but maybe they were a little too cartoony for their own good. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good throw. Yeah. Um, we, we, Hey, we, we warned everybody that this was going to be a long episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, let's do it. Let's do a few more. Um, why, why didn't UFO become, uh, no pun intended, a, anything more than a phenomenon? I've got That's them on my list too. You first. and I are connected, yeah. uh, yeah. in the brain somehow because I've have them on my list as well. And they, to me, um, I can't explain it because they had great songs, uh, great showmanship. Uh, they had the whole major label, uh, you know, push. And, uh, you know, they made their mark and they got some songs on the radio and their classics that'll last forever. But I always thought that was another band that was totally worthy of graduating to the next level. And they kind of hit that ceiling that you've been talking about this whole episode where, we don't know why a band never gets beyond it, uh, especially when they got the goods, you know. UFO was a band, maybe more so than any band we're talking about today, that literally had all the chops to be an arena headliner for sure. And yeah. they kind of stopped, they kind of peaked at the opening slot you know, or the middle slot on arena tours, at least in uh, North America. I agree. Let me interrupt and let's move on. I'm going to throw another name at you that you could insert the exact same paragraph you just said about Thin Lizzy. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, just rewind what I said and play it again. <laughs> it's exactly. Yeah, they had the songs thing. on the radio. Well, you know, boys are back. They're 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 the hits that then Lizzie had probably gained more of a footprint than even UFO in some sure argumentative circle. Yeah, uh, boys are back in town. Uh, the cowboy song, those two songs on jail and the song Jailbreak too was worthy yeah. as well. That yeah. record was their peak. It was their hit machine. But once again, that's a band that grew um, into a hard rock band. Their first record is like spoken word hippie. It could have been Pink Floyd. You know, and they yeah. grew into what they, you know, what people know them as uh, master musicians, master lyrics. Right. Uh, I, 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 it's, it's incredible. A, a different attitude than a UFO, but they hit the ceiling at some point. Yeah. And, and uh, it didn't translate past a certain thing, but everyone we talk about, I mean, Metallica covers Thin Lizzy. Everybody covers Thin Lizzy. Yeah. It's a, it's a staple. I think in some ways, Thin Lizzy toward the end became their own worst enemy. You know, it's no secret that Phil was struggling with his, with his demons and, Brian Robertson has been a hard case for forever. <laughs> uh, they probably didn't do themselves any favors towards the end. Uh, but yeah, that's a band that had all the ingredients and the skill and the quality and the charisma and the swagger to, to, to graduate to arena headliner status in the United States and never really did. They were the perennial opener. Uh, but one of, I love that band. They're great. But yeah, definitely worthy of uh probably probably could have and should have done more let's go back to canada just for a second moxie oh yeah jeez we we mentioned moxie and i want to say that the first record could have should have would have been this incredible hit machine even outside of san antonio or or smaller commutative uh areas that just fell in love with that first record probably via the same uh uh carriage which would have been a local dj yeah falls in love with the record and plays it i mean that's how rush was broken in different markets the same way it was broken in texas um, you know, the first Rush record comes out, the first Moxie record comes out. These, these Canadian bands had this ceiling, and Rush was able to become their own band, to become their own uh, monolith uh, and, uh, and break out and become just this global, um, their own man. They were their own man. And, yeah. and, uh, and I think that... Um, that first Moxie record is 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 something else. Tommy Boland plays guitar on it. Uh, this they their singer they toured with ACDC. Their singer passed away. Uh, they got a new singer put out a second record. The the second singer is uh, Mike Reno from Loverboy. Yeah, and you could talk about Loverboy. Loverboy had a lot of hits. They had a couple of records that were. You know, one right after the other. They were an MTV darling. They were on the radio. They're also on that uh, truck stop rock and roll, you know, <laughs> yeah. compilation too. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, um, you know, we could talk about Loverboy and say the same thing about that we did for UFO and Thin Lizzy. Maybe not as cool. The cool factor is maybe yeah. not there that, that UFO and Thin Lizzy and even Moxie had. Yeah. 
But the connection to Loverboy is the Moxie connection, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw one more out uh, because, again, we can't have this discussion without bringing up this band, and that is Stars. Yeah. Um, Stars, uh, your bandmate in Broken Teeth, David Beeson, is a huge fan. And uh, I finished reading a really good book by a guy named Doug Broad. It's called They Just Seem a Little Weird. And he sort of analyzes the career of stars. And the reason I bring them up in this conversation is they were managed by the same team that handled Kiss. They were on the same record label as Kiss. They were in the ran in the same circles as Kiss. Um, they had they kind of had the look. They had the songs, and they will forever be this footnote in rock and roll. And the book says that one of the reasons they may not have gotten the push they deserved is uh, some of the lyrics were a little on the darker side, maybe not as palatable to mainstream America. And I don't mean that they were like a Slayer band or anything, but there was, you know, there there was sort of a darkness to some of the songs, not all of them, uh, but they definitely kind of had this... I think they had like a dark sense of humor and that worked its way into the lyrics and it only, it was kind of like a joke that nobody was in on. So it didn't work. Right. And then they had a, there was another thing where one of the band members got really frustrated at a video shoot and basically attacked a manager or a producer or one of the people that was responsible for helping the machine roll. And that was like the last straw. So I don't know what ultimately led to their not making it, just like we don't know what ultimately led to any of these bands not getting on to bigger and be- bigger and better things, maybe. But um, but Stars is another one of those bands that seem to have it all together. And and the thing is, you know, you come out in the mid to late seventies, and you're managed by the same team, and you're on the same label as Kiss. It sounds to me like success is right around the corner, man. Well, let me interrupt you because we're, you know, we're getting long-winded here. I love Stars, their their cult status to me. They didn't yeah. even they're not even as you know, don't no one shoot me, but I feel like they're not even um at, well, no, they kind of even with Rose Tattoo or somebody like that as yeah. cult status. But no one really covered their songs. They weren't really uh, I don't think that they even got any help after the, the you know, something, the mishap that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Kiss's record label, Angel. Angel was like Journey. There's they were another like Kiss one. meets Journey. Yeah. They, they had, they were, it was awesome. <laughs> they were awesome. Yeah. They had all these harmonies. They had, they could write songs. They had a cool guitar player by way of Punky Meadows. They had great sound. Um, you know, they had the, the, they had the space, you know, the, 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 the heavenly vibe, you know, with, yeah, the, yeah. with yeah. the wild keyboard synth sounds going on. They yeah. were, they were not like journey, but journey is a good, they were like heavy metal journey. You know, they, they were, they were melodic, but they weren't like, and they weren't really a heavy metal band. They were, yeah. 
they seemed like they were built for radio, but yes. you, they but they never made it onto radio. And yes. and if they did, they never made it more than one or two songs on the radio. And even those were short lived. You'll yes. never hear them on classic rock radio next to Boston or Foghat or whatever. Should should have been though. They yeah, should have yeah. They should have been on there. I'm going to throw one more out, and we're not even going to have to really talk at length about them, but they're the okay. last band then, on my list, and I wanted to throw them out there, and that is Kicks. Yes. Um, yeah. I know you'll probably have something wow. to say about Kicks. They've uh, another great band that kind of got lumped in with the hair metal era, but they yep. just they like weren't. Hanoi Rocks influenced everyone, showed yeah. everyone how to do it, were ripped off countless times, and still as far as I know, are a band today. Right, They've right. Since the 70s. Great singer, uh, great players, uh, influenced a bunch of bands, and uh, had one hit song, uh, that ballad, Don't Close Your Eyes, and then there's some minor hits, uh, uh, Cold Blood, and uh, and there was another one off of uh, the Blow My Blow Fuse. My Fuse. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. was the biggest record, but... They've got a lot of material out, and they, they were one of the – you were lucky if you got to see Kicks open for, you know, Motley Crue or yeah, yeah. You know, anybody like that, Bon Jovi or Kiss or – because they, they, they toured with all the bigger bands. You yeah. know, just like Black and Blue is one of those bands that, I don't know, may, maybe could have gotten bigger. That could have been a timing thing. Who knows? Yeah. I'll throw a couple of things out that are fairly more recent than all this, like, Hesher rock we've been doing. Let's <laughs> talk about Failure. What do you know about the band Failure? Nothing more than the name, to be perfectly honest. Let me throw a couple things out there. One of the main guys is uh has a lot to do with uh queens of the stone age is a member of queens of the stone age which are a very very cool sort of uh i hate the term alternative but from yeah. the you know from the 90s that are uh, uh almost a household name queens of the stone age which has members of caius in it yeah. which is re related to uh the desert sort of doomy sludgy stoner rock movement yeah. um also he's also one of those guys I, i'm gonna leave his name out uh he's a member of the of perfect circle which is maynard from per oh. from tool yeah so, failure is this like the band the greatest band you never heard about so he joined his friend's bands and made it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, here's another one. They had one really big song that's probably on that truck stop CD along with BTO and Nazareth, but it was <laughs> recorded in the 90s. Space Hog. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, that was a huge hit. What happened to that band? They were like David Bowie meets... I don't know, uh, Nirvana or something. And the singer was married to Liv Tyler, Liv Tyler. for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, I saw Space Hog live. Uh, me and about 30 people watched them here in Austin, Texas in the 90s, and they blew my mind. They were, it was killer. There was, it was in, you know, that's a club. There's no barricade. And, like, right in front of those guys watching them just kill it. And yeah. It, they yeah. were. Um, <clears throat> let's go back to the underground a little bit. This may be my last one. Supergroup from New Orleans. Oh, 
that says it all right there. That says yes. it all right there. They were they were much like uh, you know broken teeth and dirty looks and Rhino Buck Jones, yeah, Danko Jones and that sort of world. Uh, great like, band, yeah, much like great, the Dragons, great like band. All of all of that like dirty rock and roll all rolled into one. But could write songs. They look great. Great frontman, singer, guitar player. Crazy uh, energy. Benji yeah. on guitar, just killing. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Had lots of great times with those guys. Here's my here here's my review of Supergroup, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they were so awesome. Maybe man. that's a timing thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe who knows? But great thing. band. People should look them up. Supergroup, all one word. Yes. Yeah. Well, this has been great, man. We could go on forever with this one, and we will have to pick up this topic another time because the list is endless of bands that uh, could have, should have, whatever. I just want um, to interrupt and say I'm sorry if it sounded like we rushed towards the end. If we, I know we, we, that we, we kind of, but yeah, but, you know, well, that, that's okay. Uh, I just wanted, we, we kind of warned everybody that we were going to do that. Yeah, so, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. All right, with that, let's move on to our final segment. <laughs> Do you remember your first stage dive and or your first mosh pit experience? Uh, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> that music was good. I can't really, I can't really put my, uh, I can't, I'm finicky on this answer. Um, my first stage dive probably would have been, uh, you know, diving during while I was my own band was playing and yeah. the guitar solo comes and I'm going to either stand there and headbang or I'm going to dive off the stage. And that would have been with my band Watchtower at the Ritz Theater in probably 84. Yeah. And uh, there's photos of of some of those shows online. And there's a couple of them where I'm in midair. <laughs> uh, and there's like this just 600 people under me like putting their hands in the air about to catch me and someone caught that it's awesome. uh it's a proud moment um <laughs> it was fun i remember they would throw me back on the stage and i would dive again they'd throw me on the stage it was like you know a, a tennis match i was the ball <laughs> um yeah. the, the uh uh, you know i i feel like there was this guy there's a there's a this could be lore at some at, at it depends on who you talk to around uh you know central texas but there was this guy in the early 80s late 70s uh in austin uh, this guy, Joe King Carrasco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wrote these like party songs, you know, kind of new wave, you know, late seventies, early eighties, kind of, uh, maybe in a, in a, in the, the light of like early B 52s or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah. And, um, anyway, I actually saw him when I was a kid uh, a couple of times at some, uh, local festivals type thing. He put on a great show, a lot of fun, everyone smiling and dancing, going crazy, but he would stage dive. Like every, every time I ever saw him, he would stage dive. And it was like crazy run, running start, like, like Superman diving into the crowd, you know, and I was like, Whoa, that looks like fun. You know? <laughs> so I heard that he heard about me and my stage dives and came to the Ritz to see me stage dive. Oh, nice. I don't think that there's any truth to that whatsoever. <laughs> but 
but that's someone a great story that, though. joking Carrasco was here he went he told I was like you don't like this you know and someone approached him you don't like this guy yeah but I heard this guy stage dives like me <laughs> or whatever because you know I guess he didn't really have it much much to compare it to at that point uh, I don't know that Johnny Rotten would stage dive I don't know that uh the guys in the clash or or uh, the Ramones would stage dive. I don't see that being part of their their couth, right? No, 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 no. But you know, <laughs> I I think that my mosh pit experience was short lived. I remember <laughs> being in some sort of mosh pit at Metallica Raven in 1983 here at a punk club called the nightlife uh before that it was called many names but one of the names was club foot yeah and, and some of the bands that we talk about in the show played club foot anyway the point i think it was during raven which is not very there there you could thrash to raven they've got some speedy tunes man yeah you know uh i feel like headbanging and thrashing was still new in 83 so no one really knew what they were doing so it just looked like a push fight. Yeah. So I'm in there trying to do a pit. You know, I'm yeah. trying to circle and I'm skanking a little bit, you know what I mean? And <laughs> and and someone like elbows me in the eye. And it's not their fault. It's not right. their fault, but it fucking hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like like it should. I mean, you get elbowed in the eye, make it count, right? So yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I I I'm blind. And I find the door and I'm outside and it's, it was the last song and I'm outside. And I guess, uh, John Gallagher from Raven saw the whole thing happen. And he, he came to find me to make sure I was okay. Oh, nice. Which I, I will never, ever forget that one of my idols, cause I love his playing. I love his singing. I love Raven. Yeah. Uh, he came and found me out front and to, to make sure I was okay. That's he may awesome. not remember it that way, but I'm sitting on the cement out front going, oh, this, <laughs> this freaking hurts. And, he, and I look up and there's, you know, this guy who he's I know he's speaking English, but it's so like Cockney or whatever you call it. I yeah. might yell, you know, I don't know that that was terrible. He doesn't even sound like that, but <laughs> sort of a Scottish English accent. And uh, yeah, he was checking on him. anyway. The, that Those are my experiences. And that uh, that was a good shot of rock and roll. Uh, nice. I got one. I got one for you. This All is right. a, this turns into this could be political a little bit or oh. as dangerous as that. Um, your quick thoughts on downloading music. Oh boy! Compared to, compared to any other way, um, a quick opinion. Do you uh, do you? Yeah. I'll make it quick because that's the only way I know how to speak on this topic. Uh, I'm not a fan of it because I'm a nerd. So I like physical product. I like album covers. I like liner notes. I like record sleeves. I like artwork. Um, I don't, uh, and then that's just me as a fan. And then um, I don't like what it's done to, I don't really, I don't like what it's done to artists. I think they're getting ripped off. I think uh, they're not getting paid fairly for their creativity and the work they put into making an album and writing a song. Uh, I understand the convenience of it. Uh, I understand it's the way of the world. Doesn't mean I have to like it. Uh, 
but that's it in a nutshell. I think it rips off the artist and me as a fan, uh, I would much rather hold a LP in my hand uh, than download a tune on my iPhone. So that's it. I, I love your answer. Here's a here's a quick scenario. When little Johnny hears mommy and daddy arguing about having to pay the Apple Music subscription every month, yeah. And then little Johnny is like, "Mommy, why are you guys fighting?" Oh, it's because you know your the music that you download that that costs money. That's that's you know we have to pay that as a monthly bill, like a cable bill or a phone bill or electricity bill or a water yeah. bill. And little Johnny's mind is blown. What? This isn't free? Yeah, yeah. Because little Johnny never took a wad of cash and went to the record store. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. This is a great way to end. What a great episode. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Jason, thank you for all your insight and your stories and your bands. Uh, that was a fun conversation that we will definitely have to continue at some point in the future. But that's all for today. Uh, Metal Dave here signing off on behalf of myself and Jason McMaster. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. 